All right. Hello, my friends. <clears throat> we are so glad that you're here. If you're watching online, we're glad you're watching. If you're in Palm Bay, the land, welcome to Tomoka Christian Church. Uh, we're glad that you're all here. You know, when I was growing up, and probably you too, it, there was uh, there were always adult conversations, and then there were children conversations, and you knew when something was going down, but you weren't allowed to find out. You know what I'm talking about? You're like, all right, there's something they're talking about that we're not supposed to know about. There were certain topics that just were not talked about amongst the children. Does anybody remember those times? In fact, you had the children's table and you had the adult table. But their little whispered tone. But it's very different today. There were topics you just didn't talk about, like plastic surgery. People would whisper about it. You think you think this has happened? But now, now everything's wide open. People get Botox shots and nobody raises an eyebrow. Backstage, they said, are you really going to tell that on Mother's Day? Yeah, well, just cut it loose. Just cut it loose. <clears throat> All right, we're studying the book of Acts right now. Acts is the beginning of the church. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell the story of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection. And then after the resurrection of Jesus, the church begins. The book of Acts, it's actually the Acts of the Apostles. It primarily takes us through the Peter, Paul, and Philip. And today we're going to be looking at a story about Peter in Acts chapter 10. You have to understand the cultural differences here. And we're going to get real specific when we, when we get to the application. But Peter is Jewish. And the centurion in the story is an Italian. He's Roman. And the two do not mix. They hate each other culturally, they hate each other politically, and neither one of them would want to talk to each other. And that comes out in this story. But what we're going to talk about today is how, when Jesus gets involved, how all those barriers come down. So, it's a long story, I'll read it fast, but if you'll stand out of respect for God's Word. We'll begin in verse 23. So, Peter has been praying, Peter's... Uh, in a city called Joppa, which is kind of in the middle of Israel on the Mediterranean coast. And the centurion is on the northern end of Israel on the Mediterranean coast in a city called Caesarea. All right, so they're both praying. This, the Romans, not sure what God he's praying to, but he's praying. Peter's praying, and God's working during this whole story. So watch this. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa went along, some of the other Jewish guys. The following day, he arrives in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and he'd called together his relatives and his close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, Peter said. I am only a man myself. For people that think Peter was the Pope, take a look at that. I am only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to even associate with a Gentile, let alone visit them. 
But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, four days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour. And at three in the afternoon, suddenly a man in shining clothes, an angel, stood before me. And I said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He's a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now, we all are here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, the beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. Because God was with him. We are all witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen. By us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of both the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they had heard them speaking in tongues. Hang on, that's just other languages. We'll get to that in a minute. And praising God. Then Peter said, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? All right, you can be seated. All right, before we dig in, I have to deal with a couple things that I just feel like I have to say. Because it's Mother's Day, it's Baby Dedication Day, and our world has lost its mind. And I, I just can't, I mean, seriously, I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but, you know, pregnant men, birthing people, um, and, and then people fighting for the right to kill their children. I'm looking at these beautiful children we had on stage. Listen to me. This is, if the church of Jesus Christ does not stand for life, we don't stand for anything. All right, I'm just going to tell you that. So here's two stories. I had a stack this deep, but I only bring two to you today. Uh, The public broadcasting system, you paid for this. You pay this lady's salary. She said... She fears that women will be forced into pregnancies that will turn into children. This is 
This is from a colleague of mine who pastors a very large church in Texas. He posted this on Facebook. His name's Barry Cameron. He said, we live in a world that wants to life without limits, rights without responsibilities, freedom to choose without regard for how those choices may affect others, sex without side effects or shame, sin without consequences, and eternity without judgment. Basically, life without God. Those who foolishly choose this path will eventually discover it's the road to hell. Choose life with God and you won't miss a thing. Choose life without him and you'll miss everything. And uh, So there are some activities we're going to talk about today that draws God's attention. So in the story, there's three activities taking place. Peter's praying. Cornelius is giving. And Jesus is saving. You say, well, I want to connect with God. Okay. Well, if you want to get God's attention, start praying. You want to get God's attention? Start giving. Yourself, your life, your money. You want to get God's attention? Be a part of helping people get saved and prepared for eternity through the blood of Jesus. When you're involved in those three things, it gets God's attention. So here's the story. If you go back in chapter 10... Peter is on the roof of the house that he's staying in. Peter's in a rented house uh, in Joppa. Now, let's have some fun here. Because you say, Joe, can you prove any of this? There's always people that don't believe in the Bible, and I'm here to help you with that. Um, Can you prove this story? I, I cannot prove that the angels showed up. I can't. I can show you the conversion that happened and how Italy becomes Christ followers and how the Roman Empire ends up by the third century becoming an entire Christian empire. We could go through all that, but I can show you some physical evidence too. So Peter lived in a house of Simon the Tanner. This is where he rented a room. There's the house. It's still there. It sits right on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. Right up here is where Peter would have been praying when Peter interacts with an angel, an angel tells him that a guy named Cornelius is sending people to get him. So there's the reality. Now, let's just have a little fun. I'll try to be quick because this is this will really excite you or put you to sleep. But as you read that passage, if you, or you, you listen to, I, to me read it, he's called Simon, he's called Peter. He's called Peter, he's called Simon. He's called Simon Peter. Do you see that? It's a little confusing. It's like, was the Holy Spirit does not know what he's doing? All right. Remember, his birth name was Simon. All right. His birth name is Simon. Actually, if you have the King James, it gives you his full name, Simon Bar-Jonah. Jonah is the Hebrew. Translate that in the Greek, John. You are Simon, son of John. And then Jesus changed his name from Simon to Peter because he said, I, Jesus said, I am the rock and upon Peter, you as the little rock, we're going to grow my church. It's a great, it's a great story. But Simon is a process that's going on here because his real name connects him to who? Simon, son of Jonah. Okay. Not... This is his daddy's. This is his daddy's name. It's not the Jonah, but it's it's the, it's that story. Jonah is the prophet. The other prophets all spoke to Jewish people, but who was Jonah called to speak to? Nineveh, the most hated people on earth. 
And they were. They were barbaric. They were cruel. They were murderous. They were all of those things. But don't miss above everything else. The reason Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh is because they weren't Jewish. What's Peter's objection? You go talk to these Romans. They're our enemy. I hate them. They hate me. And most of all, they're not Jewish. Same thing. Would it surprise you if I told you that Jonah lived in the same town and maybe the same house that Peter lived in? How about that? When Jonah got on the boat to get away from God, it's right there at that spot where Peter lived. So he goes back and forth from the idea of Simon to Peter. And in Peter's head, he's got to be thinking, what's he doing here? He's reminding me that even my name says I'm supposed to go to the Gentiles. So Peter is praying. He says he goes up on his roof at noon. Here's what I want you to think about. All right, That's why we did the prayer journals this year. We've got those out in the lobby if you need a prayer journal. But Jesus said, I have to get away from the crowds. In fact, it says often Jesus said, I have to get away from the crowds. And what would he do? He would get alone to pray. He would get alone so that he could decompress his soul. He could cry. He could get filled back up. Because even though he's God in the flesh, he's also man in the flesh. Now, if Jesus needs to go away to refuel, do you and I really think we're so good that we don't need that? Listen, God gave you an ocean. God gave you a forest. Susanna Wesley, this is one of my favorite stories. John Wesley's mother. She had eight, 18 children, I believe, and a tiny little house. They didn't have like houses like we have now. And they had the long dresses, and then she would wear an apron. And when Susanna was praying, she would pull her apron up over her head. And the kids knew to leave her alone. She might have spent 10, 12 hours a day in prayer. I don't know, I don't know how she did that. But, but the kids knew when the apron was up, mama was praying. And that's probably multifaceted. She's connecting with God. And while she's doing that, she's not hurting one of us. So it's, it was probably a real win. But everybody needs time to get alone with God. And it's when Peter's alone with God, that's when he hears from God. Notice that? Now, you need to come to church. We need to be together as the body to celebrate together, to worship together, to encourage each other. That's all important. But we also need that time alone with God. But you have to make sure it's actually alone with God and just not fishing. Okay, there's a difference. There's a, there's, there's a difference in going out and say, no, I'm going to go spend a half hour just with God. I need to clear my head. I need to, I need to confess some stuff. I need to get rid of my anger. I need to process this pain. And the only place I can do that is when I'm alone with God. Paul said it this way. He said, be joyful always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will. Pray continually. Well, how do I do that? Well, the idea is to just be in a mind of prayer so that you can stop at any second and pray for somebody or pray for a situation. But there's still that time when you've got to set it apart to go hear from God. It's at one of those moments that Cornelius hears from God. It's at one of those moments that Peter hears from God. And listen, here's what I recommend. You take your Bible, a pen, and a notebook, nothing else. 
and just see what God is doing. Write your heart out to God. Write your frustrations, your pain, the blessings. You can do so many things in those private times, but God responds when his people take time to talk to him and to listen to him. Now, it doesn't tell us what Peter was talking about. And I don't think for a moment that Peter was praying for a Roman. Because they hated each other. So that's not what he was doing. But God had another plan. So here's Cornelius. What do we know about Cornelius? Well, he's Roman. And um, he doesn't want to be in Israel. It's a very dangerous assignment. They're in Israel to keep peace because the Jews are always starting a revolt. There's always fights going on. So this guy is in a very dangerous place in the Roman Empire. However, a centurion, anybody know what that word means? Century, 100. He's got 100 men under him, and he makes a good salary. The average, I'll just translate it into our times. He, the average person made a dollar a day. He makes $10 a day. So... He's a very wealthy man. He lives in a very wealthy estate, unlike Peter's rented room. He's an elite soldier, but he's Roman. He's pagan. They worship the sun. They worship the moon. They worship the emperor. This is craziness, except somewhere along the line, Cornelius has found out there's a real God. He knows it's not the emperor. And he begins to pray to this unknown God. If you look at the actual Greek text, it's not the word for the the living God. It is just a word about a God, a deity, some God that's up there. Okay, And he begins to give. He sees people hurting all around him, and so he's generous. And those two acts get God's attention. Well, Joe, what do you know about Cornelius? Well, let me, let me show you. He lives in a town called Caesarea. All right. This was, this whole city was built by Herod the Great, one of the great Roman cities ever built. This is the aqueduct that goes into the city, brought warm, uh, hot water, cold water in and out of the city. That's what's left. This is the Hippodrome. Since we had a nice horse race last night, crazy race, right? If you're a Kentucky Derby fan. Uh, but this is where they, they ran the horses. And it's a huge stadium that probably sat fifty or 60,000 people. And when we get to Acts 24, Paul is going to be put on trial probably right in here. They're going to stand Paul up right here in front of 50,000 people and have him defend his faith. Pretty crazy story. Here's their theater. It's still in operation. It seats about 10,000. And here's their harbor. Uh, that, that Herod the Great built. A lot, a lot of stuff going on there. But what I wanted you to see is that this is a huge metropolitan Roman city. So Peter goes out of his little rented flat and he walks into this palace, this Roman centurion. I love this about the Roman. What did he do? He's so excited because he's heard about this true God and he's had an angel come to him. So he invites who? Everybody, all of his family, all of his friends. You got to hear what Peter's going to say. He doesn't know what Peter's going to say. He just knows that Peter's going to come tell them about the living God. So when Peter gets there, he walks into a, a crowd. There's all these people there. And Peter says, you guys know about Jesus. You've, you've heard the stories. You've been here. 
You know about what happened at at the virgin birth, and you know about the crucifixion, and you know about the resurrection. But maybe the moment here is the moment that Peter gets. When Peter said, I now understand. This is important. Because if you remember the history of Peter, Peter's entire life is a history of not getting it. Right? Go back and read the Gospels. Peter is cussing at fish. He's cussing at Jesus. He's cussing at more fish. He's at a fire denying that he ever knew Jesus. One of my favorite stories is when they come to arrest Jesus, what does Peter do? Takes out a sword and cuts a guy's ear off. He wasn't trying to cut his ear off. He was trying to cut the guy's head off, but the guy moved. Now, in the story, Jesus picks up the guy's ear and he heals him. You would think that would have caused a whole lot of believers right there. Let me back up, though. This is where I always say this. If you're trying to make up a story, and I'm trying to fool you guys, you, you skeptics out there, you skeptics watching online... Would you put a story in there about a guy's ear being cut off and then picked up and put back on? If I was trying to fool you, that story would not have made the cut. But it's there. So Peter's life is an adventure in getting it wrong. But this time, Peter goes, Peter preaches, and Peter said, I now know something. God shows no favoritism. Wow. Now, this may not seem like a big deal to you. Maybe it does. This would be like a Ukrainian family getting a visit from an angel tonight, and the angel says, go over the border to Russia, and there's a family on 3rd Street, and you go into their house, and I want you to preach the gospel to that family. That's the reality of this Jew-Roman interaction that's about to take place here. All right. So this is a huge risk for both sides. And yet Jesus pulls it together. He shows no favoritism between countries, between languages, between what we call races. There's really only the human race. See, I don't know where your favoritism problem is. Is it black people, white people, Hispanic people, Chinese people? Because the Bible only speaks of people. All right. But Peter has grown up like everybody. He grows up with some prejudices. And Peter said, I now know that God shows no favoritism. But what got God's attention with Cornelius? Cornelius was crying out to know God. Maybe that's some of you today. Maybe you don't know Jesus. You've never accepted Jesus. Maybe you do know him. You know a little bit about him. You hit that button. I've decided. People will help you online. If you're here, you come up front. People will answer your questions. They will help you find Jesus because that's the core to the whole story. So then we go to Jesus. What's Jesus doing in this story? Well, you have to love it because Jesus has already talked to Cornelius and got men moving before he ever bothered to talk to Peter. Peter's getting ready to eat lunch and an angel says, hey, you need to go downstairs because there's people here. And Peter has matured to the point where now do I not cut people's ears off, but he says, you know what, if God wants me to go speak to a Roman family, then I'm going to go do it. Not happy about it, but he goes. And he goes and he shares the story of Jesus. Now what happens next? Jesus does what only Jesus can do. What's Jesus do? 
he saves them. Family, friends, Cornelius, his children, grandchildren, whoever's there, and they begin to speak in tongues. Now that word will freak everybody out. All right, the word that is used is languages. It's the same one that's used back in Acts 2. Remember when the church started and all the disciples, we talked about this for several weeks, uh, Peter began to speak maybe in Spanish and somebody else began to speak in Arabic and somebody else began to speak in Farsi. And they preached to the crowds that were there in their own language. The same thing just happened here. Now, I don't know, maybe the Italians start speaking Aramaic, maybe the Italians start speaking Hebrew, but whatever it is, it gets Peter's attention, and Peter said, it's obvious that Jesus died for these people too, why can't they be baptized? Now that seems simple today, and yet you and I know that there's still so much prejudice that people face across nationalities, across color divides, across everything else, that we forget that Jesus shows no favoritism and Jesus came to die for everyone. And the message of forgiveness is available for all. And you get your family together and you share this good news. That's what, that's what Cornelius did. He didn't want his family to miss this. And Jesus steps into the middle and begins to save everybody. And I could say, honestly, because one Jewish boy went to an Italian boy... That Italian boy is going to go back to Rome, and you and I are sitting here today because the Roman world came to know Jesus because that Jewish boy and that Roman boy had dinner together. Isn't that crazy? So here we are today because that gospel got shared from one family to another. They were willing to cross the boundaries. They were willing to risk what other people might think. And they said, no, Jesus is Lord over all. Ephesians 2.8 reminds us that we are saved by grace through faith. It's not of works. Everybody's saved the same way, by the blood of Jesus. I want to finish with this story. True story out of Ukraine. A guy was, there's still tens of thousands of people trapped, by the way. We're rescuing people every single day. We have convoys of vans. We're you sent about $140,000, $150,000 so far. Thank you for your faithful giving, and um, that's awesome. And, I mean, rescues and hospitals, you name it, you're a part of it right now. It's going on everywhere, um, countries around it, inside. But this last week, there was a, a family that's been stuck along with tens of thousands of others. And they went out, and there was a car sitting in front of their house that had a key in it. And the guy got in it, and the car started. He grabs his family, and he drives them off to safety. And when he gets there, he opens the glove box, and in the glove box is the man's name and his cell phone number. And he called him. And he said, listen, I'm sorry. I stole your car. He said, I had to rescue my family. I had to do it. And the guy said, listen, I have four cars. He said, my family got out. I left my other three cars around the city with the keys in it and the tank full of gas so that three other families could escape. Now, let me help you out. Jesus has left the keys in the car. They're, they're there. He died on the cross. He paid the price. He left the keys in the car. It is the church's God, job to make sure the cars stay gassed up 
so that the world gets to hear about Jesus. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. I thank you for the blessings that you've given us. And probably we all need to work harder in connecting with you in prayer, in giving to those in need, and also to be engaged in helping people find Jesus. So Lord, use your church in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.